The following is a Barrett Sports Media production. Every sports media star has a story. From the highs... We are number one. We just grabbed every key demographic. <laughs> to the lows... You're fired! The path to success is always different. To help you learn more about the industry's top broadcasters, Barrett Sports Media brings you the Sports Talkers Podcast. Now, here's your host, Stephen Strong. Fun one ahead. Welcome in the Sports Talkers Podcast, BarrettSportsMedia.com. Stephen Strom here. Hope you're doing well. Carl Dukes is set to join us in just a few seconds here. He's the host of the number one sports radio show in Atlanta at 92.9. The game He's also a national CBS weekend host. We talk about his journey from Houston to Atlanta. And Carl is just an entertainer. Uh, just a really fun interview. His story is a unique one. We talk about his career path how to handle the Deshaun Watson case on air, and what mistakes he sees the most in young broadcasters. Make sure to rate, subscribe, and review the Sports Talkers podcast. And Without further ado, here is Carl Dukes. I guess we'll first start with just how you were growing up and how you got into sports and eventually led to uh, sports broadcasting. Well, you know, I originally wanted to be uh, a morning DJ, uh, when I first got into this, because that's those were the guys, first of all, um, and I'm talking before sports radio really had its boom. OK, so we're, we're talking about the mid 90s. Uh, there were a few sports radio stations around the country, but for the most part, sports was done on AM stations and it was mm-hmm. done on AM news stations. So I happened to work at uh, a news station in San Antonio, WAI and uh, KTSA at the time. Those were the two competing news stations. And OAI obviously eventually turned into Clear Channel, which is now iHeart. Yep. But um, long story short, I wanted to be a, a DJ, morning DJ. And uh, so I started interning and I realized fairly quickly that those guys, for the most part, got very limited time to talk about things that were either relevant unless something big in the community was happening. And um, I was like, OK, this is cool, but I'm playing, you know, eight songs an hour and I'm talking for three minutes. Sure. And uh, uh, across the hallway, there was a guy who was doing a sports show at night and he knew I had played sports and he knew, you know, I was into it. What did and you play? Football, football, play football uh, and, you know, played all sports in high school. And, and it was one of those things where I didn't see a future in sports talk because I didn't know it existed. And a uh, guy's name was Joe. And he said, hey, man, come over and let, let's talk about the Cowboys, because I was in Texas at the time. And this is when, again, mid 90s, it's Emmett, it's Troy, oh, it's, yep. they're, they're huge. And uh, I said, yeah, sure. And I went over and the show was on, I think at that time, the show came on, I think it's six, six o'clock in the evening, maybe it was seven, seven to nine, something like that. It was two hours. And so I came on with him. I did that show with him and I left and it was an epiphany that this is what I need to be doing. This is cool. I get to talk about things that I want to talk about. How am I going to do this? And that was really the first time that I thought about sports radio so hold on so you were interning as uh, as a dj or whatever maybe at a music station and Correct. you talked to the sports director or whoever it was at a station and he just brought you on air and you guys did a show together with no experience doing sports radio okay yes and and so to put this in context i was i tell people this all the time in, in our business and, and this is for not, not everybody's going to get a chance to do this but i've done almost every job in the building and the reason is because the mentor that the guy that really kind of showed me the way told me I really need to figure out what I want to do and what I would enjoy. 
a lot of people feel like they're going to be great on air. They don't necessarily like it or they're not good at it. Um, you just don't know what your passion is going to be. And so for me, I got a chance to do promotions. I got a chance to do uh, the marketing stuff with the marketing team. I did sales. I also, you know, as I interned, I was trying to learn about all the things that I needed to learn about. And so in that process, one of the things that I did was I became a producer. Uh, and at one point, I was the executive producer for all of the political talk shows on our AM station. And how old now, were you at this point? Uh, I am because I had my first talk show when I was 22. So I'm probably Jeez. 19, maybe at this point, 19 or 20. An executive producer. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, you know, at 17, that was the first time that I figured I wanted to do this um, because I had been a DJ since I was like 13 years old. Um, the story goes, I told my mom and dad, I wanted two turntables and a, and a mixer for Christmas. And they kind of laughed and went, what the hell is a two turntables and a mixer? So they had no <laughs> idea. Um, but ultimately I became a DJ and did that through high school. And then I did as a young, you know, teenager, 17, 18 years old, I was DJing clubs. Um, and then I actually had one of my coaches, uh, we, we did a thing, I think it was my senior year, maybe going into my senior year, um, where I spoke to, uh, our class and I spoke about dreaming and, and being, and, and, you know, de desire to be great. And, and after this speech that I gave, and it really wasn't, I didn't think twice about it. It was just kind of something I did. One of my coaches came up to me, uh, his name was coach Sullivan and he's still in contact with me. And he said, son, you need to be talking to people. You need to be in the communications field. And I was kind of mm -hmm. like, huh, what are you talking about? And that was also kind of a message, I think, that kind of, you know, pushed me in that direction. But back to the story. So I became an executive producer for all the political talk shows. I told you they were AM stations. Yep. So back then, you have to think about Rush Limbaugh, all the political talk is taking off, okay? The irony to that is I'm African-American, all the hosts are white, all the other producers are white. Yep. It was one of those things that, I was completely in an element that I was unfamiliar with, but it helped me immensely to learn how to prepare for shows, how to get guests, how to appreciate going after stuff to create shows and how to put shows together. Mm. So I'm calling, you know, from the mayor to senators to Congress folks, getting people on these shows and witnessing these talk show hosts and how they do it. And you're taking tidbits, right? You're taking little things. So yep. I'm across the hall doing that. The guy that I ended up doing the show with that I told you about, Joe is his name. He was the guy that was doing the sports show. And so he was the guy that said, hey, Carl, why don't you come over, man? And, and you know, let's talk some Cowboys just on a whim, not really knowing that I could do it. But he knew what I did on a daily basis. So yep. that producing part of it really helped me. And I always tell people, Stephen, I wouldn't change anything about my career. People always say, oh, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. Every little step of my career has allowed me to appreciate everything that I've gotten up to this point. Yep. And when people say, well, how do you do this or how do you do that? I'm not necessarily surprised because I've been prepared for the moments and the opportunities that have been presented. So that's how that kind of played out. Yes. Come on over. We did the show. And that's when I knew. And versatility, right? That, that's what I took away from that. Marketing, all these different things, producing. It prepares you for that moment. Maybe at the time, you're like, what am I doing? Or what is this really going to help me? But it really does when you're trying to sell ads and you're working with different partnerships. I mean, it has completely molded you. My next question is, wh where do you get this energy from? How is it this high all the time? Is it always this high? Who, who do you credit for that? Uh, no, listen, it is. First of all, I have a, just a, a great outlook on things. Every day when I get up, there's a plan, there's a mission. So my thing has always been like, if I'm here, I'm going to make the best of it, no matter where it was. And I also feel like 
energy, and this is not, not, not necessarily a religious thing, but maybe a spiritual thing. I think energy in the universe is real. Like when I meet people, right, the energy you give off and vice versa tells you a lot about that individual. And so I, I think when people are listening, they want that. Mm. Not everybody's going to be able to produce it. And it's hard to, to fake it, too, because people know that as well. So I just think what you're getting, what you're seeing is me. And, you know, uh, it's, it's God given, man. It's been blessed. I've been blessed with this to bring the energy and be that way. But, you know, you talk about versatility. I also ran the board. So I was a board op at one time. So from my standpoint, like I literally tell people that, you know, my producers and people that I work with. I have an appreciation for what you do. Like yep. when I ask you to call somebody and it takes 12 calls to get them, I understand that. And when we get them on, I'm going to congratulate you. We're going to pump you up. I'm going to buy you dinner because I know the effort it takes. So I don't take that for granted where some hosts are like, oh, you can't get this guy on. What's blinking wrong with you? And they kill their people that they work with. And I've just never been that guy. And the people that usually do that weren't in the shoes of a producer or whatever it may be. And I think that's why it's uh, that's why it's helped. All right. So you have this successful situation in Houston. You're killing it. You get an opportunity to go to Atlanta, a new station. And there was a lot of lineup changes early on. Did you worry that you may have made a mistake leaving Houston to go to Atlanta? Anytime, Stephen, you leave a market where you have equity, it's hard. So this is why guys don't do it. Guys don't leave places they've had success. And this is why guys stay in markets, even when they've been fired and they want to stay in that market, because it's easier than to go somewhere else and have success. Yep. So anytime you have that, it's hard to leave. But for me, um, timing is everything. And I just knew at that moment, that time in our lives and my family's life, that it was going to be the right move. Um, you know, there were also signs. And again, take it for what you want. My wife and I are in Vegas, right? We're at a bar. We're at the, the Cosmopolitan Bar, um, Chandelier Bar. And we're sitting there and we're having drinks. And we're literally at this time, the offer has come in. I've told them I'm going to think about it. You know, this was summer of summer of 2012 because we didn't start the station until October. So this is early summer when we started yep. these conversations and nobody really knew that this was going on. Uh, and so my agent's like, Hey, you know, we're going back and forth and nothing had been finalized, but we get to Vegas and we're there on vacation and we're sitting at the bar. And all of a sudden Georgia on my mind comes on like the music that's playing at the bar. And I'm like, what are the odds that we're sitting here in a random place that we're not even at home and Georgia on my mind comes on, right? So you think about those kind of things and you go, well, this is, is this a sign? It's a sign, and right. I, it's a sign, right. I, it has to be. I just knew the timing was right. Um, you give up equity. You give up the, the, the sweat equity that you put into the, to the market and the people you know. But in coming to Atlanta, yes, a lot of my friends in the business said, don't take the job. And not mm -hmm. because they didn't think I could do it, but because at the time there were two established sports stations here. Um, 790, which was at, at one point, you know, the, the big animal here, the, the big king, um, even though it was a small watch station, it had yep. big personalities. And then you had 680, the fan, which obviously was is, is owned by the Dickies uh, at the time. And it's a family that was from here and they're not going anywhere. And so the investment was going to continue. There were people who were involved with this project to get it started, who convinced me enough to say, we're committed and we're going to make this work. Mm. And from that and knowing that the money that that, that was involved in, in investing in the station, because that was a big part of it, the signal, all the things that we talked about along this process convinced me. So I didn't take the job, I don't think, until um, we started talking maybe early summer and I didn't take the job until like August. We were off and on talking about different things. I came to Atlanta like two different times. 
visiting and talking about vision and all this kind of stuff. So once I made the decision, I'll tell you this story. And my family is the only people who know this story. So I came home. My wife was like, whatever you want to do. She had a, a great gig in Houston. And my daughter, I think at the time, is in, she's going to second grade. First, she's in first grade, going to second grade. Um, and I came home and I made the decision. I was just sitting by myself and weighing the pros and cons. And I said, you know, I, I just need to do this. I need to go. I wanted a new challenge. And I left my wife and daughter a note that said, we've owned Houston and we're going to go to Atlanta and be number one. Love you. Wow. And that is how my wife and daughter found out we're going. And that was it. And we get, once we came, it was on. Wow. What a story, man. Thank you very much for sharing that. Carl Dukes, uh, giving us some great stuff here. What are some of the biggest on-air mistakes you see uh, in young broadcasters early on, whether it's sports radio or whether it's play-by-play? Well, you know, part of being great at this is knowing yourself. And this is why I think the experience is so valuable. Um, I think I see a lot of times young guys, especially trying to do or emulate other guys or styles when in essence, it's not them. And, you know, I always say you take a little bit from everybody. You said that, that early you really on, like. you take tidbits, you, you take, take tidbits. tidbits. Yep. You have to, because you go, I really like that. And, but, but then you have to ask yourself, how would I use it? How would it be incorporated into my personality? So I see that a lot where guys are trying to emulate things and it's really not coming off the way it should. Yep. And that gets back to experience this day and age with with where we're at, Stephen, a lot of people just want it now, right? I, I always scream. I have a phrase, I want it now, because that's how we are in society. I want my TikTok right now. I want my Insta right now. Yep. I want my job right now. And I want this. And the reality- I want to be on thing, air right now. Exactly. And the reality is, it's a process. It's a process. And if you're going to be great at it, sometimes you have to go through that process of learning who you are, and it helps you come out. It helps you be a better broadcaster. It helps you be a better play-by-play guy. So play-by-play, listen, I just think that that is a skill that is developed over time and you have to do games. Reps. You can't just say, I'm going to be a play-by-play guy. And you hear that in people that are trying to do it and you just hear their inexperience and you hear how the transitions are. Or, and what are some of the things you hear that you could tell they're young? Correct. Well, well, that one of the things is j- just the transition and how they view and see the game, right? I mean, it's one of those things that you have to become a student of the game as well. I think the best broadcasters, spe- specifically play-by-play guys, not just color guys, they become students of the game and they understand it in a way that it becomes a lot easier for them to just explain it, to have that come across to the, to the listener or the viewer. And I think that takes time. So, mm. you know, that's why you don't see guys who are 20 years old being Joe Buck. You mm. know, there's a reason Joe Buck's Joe Buck. So th- there's a process. And I, I just I think that's the point that I would get across to people who say, hey, we're all going to make mistakes. There, there's a process that you go through when you're doing play by play. I think the biggest thing is, um, you know, the hardest thing is how you prep for these games and how you prepare and then your delivery, how, how you're going to get this across, yep. that it comes comfortable for people to say, man, I like that. You don't want to impede the game, right? You don't want to get in the way. You just want to be a conduit for the game, right? I'm just leading you and letting you watch this play out. Or if I'm on the radio, I'm describing it in such a way that you're there with me. You could close your eyes. We just lost Ben Scully. And, you know, I told a story uh, on my national show on CBS about meeting Ben. But the beauty of Ben Scully was, what you saw is what you got. 
right? And, and it translated not just to TV, but to radio. And then when you met him, he was the same guy. And yep. that's the, that was, that was what, what the beauty was of him. The Deshaun Watson stuff, um, the delicacy of, of talking about that. I, this is a question I, I got uh, a couple of times. Uh, is this something that you take a lot of time on before getting on air? Kind of walk us through the delicacy of talking about the Deshaun Watson case uh, on a national and any uh, platform. First and foremost, um, we don't rush to judgment. We as in me. Uh, I learned way back when, do you remember the Duke lacrosse case? Do you remember the Duke lacrosse? Okay. And everybody said, oh my God, these guys are guilty. And people lost their minds and it became a big deal. Um, There have been many situations in sports where we've all gone, oh my God, can't believe it. He's done. And he's not. Or he didn't do what we thought he did. Or it wasn't as serious as we thought it was. So that's the first thing. The second thing is you have to be fair. This was a hard one for me, Stephen, because I know Deshaun. I know his family. I know people in his family. You know, he's from Gainesville, Georgia. He went to high school in Gainesville, Georgia, went to college at Clemson. And I remember tweeting when Houston drafted him. I said, you know, H-Town, you got you got a good one, which they did. They had a good quarterback. What we didn't know is what was going to happen in his private life. So the reason why it was tough, because you have to be fair, as much as I want to say this is not the young man that I know or that yeah. I met. I have to be fair in saying, as I always do, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the moment. I wasn't in those massage rooms with him. So I can't speak to what he said or what he did do or what he did. So that becomes part of the narrative when you're talking about this. Give me the facts. I'm going to give you what we know. And then I'm going to tell you how I feel about it. And do I think it's wrong and disgusting? And if true, as alleged, do I think that, you know, there should be punishment? Absolutely. But we have to wait to see what the evidence shows us. And mm-hmm. I think the problem that a lot of people get into is they want to go, oh, this guy's a, he's garbage. He's he's trash. I can't. And you go down this road and it leads you to that point where you're talking about where you, you cross the line and you say something you shouldn't. And then people go, OK, that, that was too much. I also think, though, that we're in a culture right now where we've we've gone too far to one side as talk show hosts, as comedians, as people who have shows that are based on opinions and what we do for a living. We have to be able to present that to you without outrage, faith yep. or otherwise, and without people going, that dude needs to be canceled. He needs to be fired. Is This is what we do. And I've always said, I didn't, you know, as long as you don't talk about somebody's mom, dad, or their children, you're going to be okay. And a lot of people, they can't, they can't hold themselves yep. back from doing that. They make it personal. And when that becomes personal, it becomes dangerous. It kind of goes back to the gratification uh, standpoint. Everyone wants it now. Everyone wants to kind of cancel someone now. Everyone wants to jump to judgment, like you said. So it kind of goes back to what you were saying before. Last one, and I'm not sure if you actually gave this thought uh, because you're far from being done, but what would you want fans to say about you as a broadcaster 20, 30 years down the road when people ask, how was the Carl Dukes experience when I turn on my radio? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I hope that, and I think we have, become a part of the fabric of this community and the communities that I've been to prior to coming here. You know, whether it was uh, in other markets in Dallas for a short period or Denver or Houston, San Antonio, it's one of those things where the, the longer you're there, right? We talked about this earlier. The, 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 the thing is you become a part of the fabric of the community. And I hope that people talk about how much fun they had in listening. Maybe they learned something, but more importantly, Every day I turned on the radio and these guys, this guy made me smile like this guy, you know, I may have hated him a day, but he still made me smile or I love what he was saying and he still made me smile or I I thought he was full of crap that day. But either way, 
it made them feel good. And I think that is the thing that I hope that I've done and that I continue to do for people. And that has an effect on folks. Um, I am still amazed that I get people from Houston. I haven't been there in 10 years. I haven't been on the air in 10 years. Now I do guest spots, but I haven't been on the air in 10 years. I still get people saying, man, Dukes, put them up. I miss you. What? 10 years? That, that, that's pretty cool. Yep. And, you know, when you get it in Atlanta, when you go out places and people show up just for you to say, hey, man, I just want to let you know, dude, really appreciate you. Listen every day. I came from, you know, Conyers. Dude, that's 30 miles away. You drove here for that? Like, that blows me away. But it also makes me appreciate what I'm doing on a daily basis and the effect that I'm having on people because they are so appreciative of what we do. All right, Carl Dukes, everyone. Hope you enjoyed today's episode, the Sports Starkers Podcast. Rate, subscribe, and review. Make sure to give Carl a follow at Put em Up C Dukes on Twitter. Make sure to give me a follow at SSTROM underscore. Have a fantastic rest of your week and weekend, and we'll talk to you next Thursday here on the Sports Talkers Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sports Talkers Podcast with Stephen Strong. A reminder that each episode can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting platforms. To stay up to date on future episodes, visit BarrettSportsMedia.com.